The only question I have is, do you really believe that the blood still works? Do you really believe that the blood still works? My next question is, what are you holding on to that you are refusing to place under a blood that still works? If indeed the blood still works, why do we still hold on to some of the stuff we hold on to? Why are we still suffering from some of the stuff that we are suffering from if the blood does work? Or is it that we know what to say that is politically, let me change that, that is spiritually correct? But we don't really believe in what we say. We know what it's supposed to sound like. We know what it's supposed to look like. But do we really believe that the blood still works? He said, oh, the blood of Jesus. <laughs> it will never lose its power. But do we believe? Oh, Lord. If you have your Bibles with you, let's just go into the Word. Acts chapter 23, 
verses 1 through to verse 8, and Acts chapter 24 and verse 5. I want to begin the reading in verse 1 of chapter 23, but my emphasis is really on verse 6 to 8. In verse 5 of chapter 24. Here we go. And Paul, earnestly beholding the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded them that stood by him to smite him on the mouth. Then said Paul unto him, God shall smite thee, thou whitewashed, thou whitened wall. For sittest thou to judge me after the law, and commandest me to be smitten contrary to the law. And they that stood by said, Revilest thou God's high priest? Then said Paul, I wist not, brethren, that he was the high priest, for it is written, Thou shalt not speak evil of the ruler of thy people. But when Paul perceived that the one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. Of the hope and resurrection of the dead, I am being judged. And when he has so said, there arose a dissension between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the multitude was divided. Verse 8, for the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, neither angel nor spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. Chapter 24, verse 5. And there arose a great cry, and the scribes that were of the Pharisee part arose and strove, saying, We found no evil in this man. But if the spirit or, of, or an angel has spoken unto him, let not fight against God. Um, let's go to chapter, there we go. For we have found this man a pestilent fellow and a mover of this sedition among all the Jews throughout the world and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarene. You may be seated. From this passage of scripture, I want to talk briefly on the topic. I want to ask this question. What sect are you of? What sect are you of? In other words, to what sect do you belong? To what sect do you belong? The period between the Testament, the old and the new, history tells us it is about 400 years. This 400 years is referred to as the silent years. 
Silent not because everybody walk around refusing to speak, but silent because the most important voice in the history of the Jewish people, the voice of God was now heard in these 400 years. Can you imagine that God who has always spoken to the prophets over the history of this people was never heard from in 400 years. For the people whose reliance is totally on God, can you imagine God refused to speak? Can you imagine being in the midnight hour when you are going through the worst struggles of your life and you are relying on God because you need a word from God because you know that a word from God can change some situation. Because you know that a word from God can change some circumstances. But you wait for a word that never comes. So my question is, what do you do in the midnight hour when there is no word? What do you do when you're going through the struggles of your life and there is no word, the God in whom you believe refuse to say a word? Do you stand on what he has already said? Or, or, or do you now begin to formulate for yourselves your own rules, your own laws, and applying them to your situation, which was never be meant to be applied to it because it is not the word of God. So within these 400 years, we see these people, these sects begin to formulate, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they begin to formulate their own sets of rules, their own sets of tradition, moving away gradually from the word of God. But, I, but let me tell you this, as the Lord approaches, as the time gets closer, we in this day and time are doing the very same thing. We are formulating for ourselves. We are creating these little groups among ourselves, these little, little sects that we, sect that we become comfortable with. Because technically we are in the same boat together. So we are creating ourselves a group of people who's willing to agree with my objective, who's willing to agree with my agenda who will never tell me that this is wrong. I should not do this because fact of the matter, we are in the boat together. But my question to you this morning, what sect are you of? To what sect do you belong? Professing to be of the sect of the Nazarene. But all the while adding a little sprinkling of the sect of the Pharisee. All the while adding a little sprinkling of the sect of the Sadducees. Because this fits into my agenda. 
that fits into what I really want to do. And right now, I'm not feeling what God is saying, but I know that if I go to this person and that person, they will say exactly what it is that I want to hear and give me the okay to do exactly what I want to do. But my question to you this morning is what set are you off? So in this, in this text, in this text, Paul is being confronted by two group of people who, whose beliefs, whose way of life stood in opposition to the Messiah. He is confronting, here is, two, is these three sects. The sect of the Sadducees, the sect of the Pharisees, and what they call the sect of the Nazarene. Paul is taking the stand in a, in, a, in a place where we recall that he is standing between a rock and a hard place. He is, he is opposed by these sect. And, and, and together for a while, they seems to come together for what is considered the greater good. Because, the, because even though they don't believe in the, in the Messiah, they are, both, they are in the same boat. Even though their beliefs varies in some way, but the most important thing, the very thing that is a problem, is a problem for both of them. So they have the same common enemy. So here they are with different belief system, but they are willing to come together to get rid of the thorn that's in their side. So they come together to get rid of Paul, but one thing by, one statement by Paul caused the, the conflict between the Pharisee and the Sadducees. And it shows us that there is no true friendship among the wicked. There is no true friendship among the wicked. Because if we notice in the text, with the utmost ease, their union turned into enmity. Can that be said about us? Where we come together for a greater, what we perceive as a greater good. But one little small thing. Let somebody say one thing that you don't like. Let somebody say one thing that you don't agree with. And, and see what happens. Sister Terry, we, we can agree, but don't let us disagree. If you ever let us disagree, we're going to have a problem. But that was what's happening in this text. There is no true friendship among the wicked. It's all about my agenda. As long as 
my agenda is getting across, we can be friends. But when what you say goes against my agenda, But we, we often, these people are referenced a lot of times in this Bible. But who are these people? What is their belief system like? And so allow me to spend a little time explaining what makes up their beliefs. The Sadducees, you say the Sadducees are generally aristocrats, meaning that they are considered themselves to be the elite and is in the highest class. They, they accommodated themselves to a degree of Hellenistic influence. The Greek world at the time made its greatest impact through the sect as they carefully guarded the prosperity they enjoy from commerce with the Gentile world. They were religiously conservative in that they supported the temple and the priesthood and held to the traditional faith of the Hebrew scriptures. They accepted only the first five books as scriptures, excluding the prophets. The Sadducees regard the more recent ruling of the Pharisees that they applied to the Torah as ill-founded, repressive, contrary to the written law, and contrary to the best interests of the people and the nation. In other words, they were the, for, the first prosperity folks. These were the people who believe in accumulating all these riches for themselves. So, so the, the Bible said there is nothing new under the sun, this, this prosperity thing has been going on for a long time. So when you find yourself believing and preaching this prosperity thing, my question is, where did you get it from? What sect did you get it from? What sect are you following? Who are you representing? So their material accumulation symbolized favor. They were the symbols of favor chasers. But I see a, I see a problem because they believe in the, the first five books of the Bible. But perhaps they look past the story of Joseph. All right, all right. That Joseph had favor with, with his father. That Joseph received a coat of many colors. And that coat was reflective of the favor that Joseph had. But the Bible tells us that the symbol of favor which is found in the coat of Joseph one day that symbol of favor was removed from him. 
But the Bible tells us that in spite of the symbol of favor being removed, Joseph still had favor. So perhaps they didn't realize that the symbols that you use to say that you have favor doesn't really show favor because until you have favor with God, you really don't have any favor. See, he was betrayed by his brother. He was placed in a pit. He was placed in jail. He was lied upon by his boss's wife. But at the end of the day, he still... So where are you in your life? What is it that you're going through? And because of what some people have taught you, you think that you don't have favor with God. Because everything that you've been taught that surrounds you that looks like favor is not in place. What sect are you off? You see, the Sadducees, neither did they believe in angels, as Acts 23 8 said, spirit or the resurrection. They denied a future state, and had neither hope of eternal happiness nor the dread of eternal misery. So they are what Paul would describe as more, more than miserable. Because Paul said it in, in, in the scripture that in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 19 that if in this world only we have hope in Christ, then we are of men most miserable. And not even in this world did they have hope in Christ because they did not believe in the, in the Messiah. They had no future hope and nothing temporal can truly satisfy. But you also have the Pharisees. The Pharisees emphasized strict interpretation and observance of the Moisic law in both its oral and written form. Yes, they taught strict observance of the Jewish tradition as interpreted by the rabbis. So the, the Pharisees were fair, you see. They believed in angels. They believed in spirit but they stumbled at that stumbling stone. They, they, they stumbled at the rock of, of, of offense. We can be so close, and yet so far away. We can be so close, and yet not close enough. Here they are. They are almost the total opposite of the Sadducees. They are a little closer, but still not close enough because the one thing that should be the foundation of it all, they did not believe in. 
They believed that a Messiah was going to come, but they didn't believe that Christ was he. So they were so, 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 so close. Have you seen somebody who know the word of God? Who, who talks about God so much? But when it comes down to accepting Christ as their Savior, that one thing that would take them to where they need to be, they just refuse. That is what the Pharisees look like. The, the Pharisee is also described as a hypocritically self-righteous person who believes that he is superior in righteousness because of his religious practices. Coming to church every Sunday don't make you more righteous than nobody else. Saying your prayer over every meal don't make you more righteous than anybody else. Saying your prayer before you go to bed don't make you more righteous than anybody else. Luke 18, verse 10 to 14. Luke 18, verse 10 through 14. This is Jesus telling the story. And, and, and I can see the faces of the Pharisees while he was saying this. Two men went up into the temple to pray. The one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank thee that I'm not as other men are. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice a week. I give thanks to all that I possesses. And the publican standing afar off would not lift up as much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus said, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalted himself shall be abased. And he that humbled himself shall be exalted. So when you are caught up in your self-righteousness, ask yourself this question, what said? What set are you up? Where did you get that from? Thinking he's all that. And, he, and his neighbor is a nobody. Like Pastor was said, thinking he's all that and a bag of chip. But at the same time, doesn't realize what his self-righteousness is doing to him, how he is exalting himself. The Pharisee, the Pharisee. There's an there's a author called Bronte Emily in the book called Weathering Heights writes, 
he was and is yet likely the most wearisome self-righteous Pharisee that ever ransacked a Bible to wreak the promises to himself and fling the curses to his neighbor. Does that apply to us? We want all the blessing. We want everybody to talk good about us. But at the same time, we turn our nose down at everybody else. Raking all the curses, all the blessing that God has is mine. But refuse to bless anybody else. My question to you there, is that you? Is that familiar with you? Have you done some of those things? Can I, let me reference another, another book. The New Magdalene by Colin Wilkley simply put it this way. He said, who but a Pharisee can believe that he's better than others? So if you're thinking that you are better than everybody else, perhaps you are a Pharisee. <laughs> perhaps that is the sect that you belong to and not the sect of the Nazarene as you proclaim to be. Jesus often warned his disciples. He said, take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisee. He's basically saying, don't become contaminated by them. See, leaven puffs up. It, it, it is like pride. It, it, it puffs up. It is it was similar to what we would consider baking powder. Yes, sir. Our yeast that you when you're baking you put it in, and a little bit of yeast goes a long way. That's the same way it is with pride. That's the same way it is with self-righteousness. It can have your line to yourselves. Thinking that you are when you're really not. Thinking that you are where you're really not. Jesus said, hey, beware. Because you can easily become contaminated by this thought. You can easily be contaminated by this belief. Have we allowed ourselves to be contaminated by this belief? Is that why the way we act the way we do? Is that why we turn our nose up? Are the other folks? Is that why we say to ourselves, not me? But yes, you. Is it that why we, can, we think that nobody but our parents can really teach us anything? 
Is that why we believe that if you haven't been going to church for 50 years, you can't tell me nothing? Is that why we don't believe that a child can teach us anything? Perhaps that's where you belong. I don't know. Only you can evaluate yourself and decide if that's where you are. But then there is the sect of the Nazarenes. The title Nazarene or Men of Nazareth is first applied to the Christians by Tartellus in Acts 24, verse 5. Though Herod Agrippa II in Acts 26, 28 used the term Christian, which had first been used in Antioch in Acts 11:26, So just as Antioch coined the word Christian from the word Christ, Jerusalem coined the term Nazarene from Jesus of Nazareth. So when, you, when they say the sect of the Nazarene, I want you to know exactly what it is that they're talking about. They're talking about those that are believers in Christ. Those who we would refer now as Christians. So are you of the sect of the Nazarene? So the sect of the Nazarene sees man as being sinful and is in need of a savior. That's the sect of the Nazarene. The sect of the Nazarene believe that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The sect of the Nazarene believes that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. The sect of the Nazarene believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. The sect of the Nazarene believe that Jesus died for our sins. The sect of the Nazarene believed that he didn't stay dead even though he was buried. They believed that he rose on the third day. The sect of the Nazarene believed that he didn't stay on earth but he ascended into heaven. We believe that he is at the right hand of God. We believe that he is coming back again. We believe that he said, I go and prepare a place for you. That where I am, there you will be. The sect of the Nazarene believe that we are the light of the world. And that a city that is set up on a hill cannot. The sect of the Nazarene believe that this world is not our home. That we are just on a pilgrimage, that we are passing through. The sect of the Nazarene believe that there will be a new heaven and a new earth. The sect of the Nazarene believe that Jesus is coming back again. And he's going to pay every man according to what his work shall be. The sect of the Nazarene. So my question is, what sect is your beliefs rooted in? 
It's time to really pick a side. It's time to really pick where you belong. It's time for you to really consider and evaluate your life and see if you are allowed some sprinkling of the Pharisee to see if you had allowed some sprinkling of the Sadducees to be in your life. So Paul found himself locked in this battle. But the beauty about this battle that Paul found himself in is the same battle that Jesus was in. It's the same battle. And as believers, those who believe in Christ, the same battle that Christ was locked in, the same battle that Paul and the apostles were locked in, is the same battle we ought to be locked in. But if we're too busy blending in and look like a little bit of the sect of the Pharisee here, a little bit of the sect of the Sadducees here, how can we stand out and be who God has called us to be? Paul is being problematic because he is walking in the stead of Jesus. Whose stead are you walking in? Whose stead are you walking in? Who have you patterned your life after? See, Paul is representing the one who showed the Sadducees that despite of not believing in the prophets, they have no excuse for not believing in the resurrection. Matthew 22, verses 23 to 32. You see, God does it in such a way that you really don't have no excuse. You, you, you really don't have a legitimate excuse. Either way you look at it, you really don't. He said, the same day came to him the Sadducees, which say that there is no resurrection, and asked him, saying, Master, Moses said, if our man die having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up seed unto his brother. Now there were with uh, seven, brother, seven brethren, and the first, when he had married a wife, deceased and having no issue, that means he didn't have no children, left his wife unto his brother. Likewise, the second also, and the third unto the seventh. And last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection... <laughs> Therefore, in that which we don't believe, whose wife shall she be of the seven? For they all had her. Jesus answered and said unto them, Ye do err, not knowing the scriptures, 
nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given into marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. So here is this. They don't say it. That's what they say. They say they don't believe. But I believe it's because they don't want to believe. You see, a lot of stuff we know that is true. But because we don't want to be held accountable, we try to deny it. But it doesn't matter how much you deny it. The fact of the matter is you know and you're going to be held. You see, the root of the matter is the unwillingness to give up what they have secured for themselves. If any man come after me, Jesus said, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Here we're talking about the prosperity folks. So, so I see the rich ruler say, Jesus, what must I do to have eternal life? He says, sell everything that you have been accumulating for all these years, give it to the poor, and come and follow me. I believe that God was a Sadducee. Because he has accumulated all these things, all this prosperity, all this thing that he believed shows that he has favor. And the very thing that you have accumulated, this is what Christ is telling you to get rid of and come follow me. Oh, 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 and, and today we find ourselves that some things that we are holding on to, some things that we count as dear to us, he is saying, let go of those things, lay those things aside and come follow me. But we refuse to let go. But I, I realized something. That I can spend my whole life trying to accumulate things that for God, all he has to do is say, let there be. He did it in Genesis. He didn't need the help of nobody else. All he did was spoke a word. So I can waste my whole life working for something that all I have to do is trust God because to God it ain't nothing but a word. But I waste my life working and toiling and trying. And, and God is just saying, all you have to do is just trust me. For, 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 for me, it ain't nothing but for me to just speak a word into your life. He said, my word shall go forth and it shall not come back void. It will accomplish whatever I send it out to accomplish. Can you trust me with your life? You see, I, I, let me say this. I do admire the Pharisee. Sounds strange, don't it? I do admire the Sadducees. Why? Because they were true to, their, to what they believed. I admire the courage of Paul. 
You know why? Because he was true to what he believed. Now the question is, what do we say that we believe? And are we willing to stay true to what nobody else say, but what we have said that we believe? That is where the heart of the matter lies. Are you willing to stand up for what you say you believe in? If you believe that Christ is the Messiah, if you believe that he has saved you from your sin, if you believe, are you willing to stand up and walk in the stead of Jesus? Will you walk in the same pattern as the apostles and the prophets? Because you say this is what... You see, until... What do I have in my hand? No, it's not a mic. It's a, it's a, it's a ice cream cone. What, what, what am I doing? I'm putting a little sprinkle on my ice cream. But Truth be told, this is not a mic, it is not an ice cream, but this is us. And what we are doing is, over here is a little sprinkling of the, of the Pharisees. And this is what we are professing, that we are of the sect of the Nazarene, that we are believers in Christ Jesus. We are believers in the gospel of Jesus Christ, but this is what we're doing. A little bit of Sadducees. And then we go over here, a little bit of Pharisee. And at the end of the day, nobody really knows whose we are. Nobody knows who we are. Because what we say and what we look like doesn't line up. Because we say we are of the sect of the Nazarene, but every time they look at us, they see a little sprinkling of the Pharisee. They see a little sprinkling of the Sadducee, because all we do is chase after riches. All we do is being self-righteous, so nobody can really tell who we really are. You see, until we really separate ourselves from the sprinkling of the Pharisee, until we really separate ourselves from the sprinkling of the Sadducees, we will never be as effective as God has called us to be. Because we can never look like what he desires for us to look like. We can never be that city on a hill like he has called us to be. We can never be the light of the world that we are to be. Because we have been covered with a little sprinkling here, a little sprinkling there, with something that is not of Christ. Where does your loyalty lies? Where does your loyalty lies? Because God want to use you in a mighty, 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 mighty way. But where does your loyalty? Can you be that chosen generation? 
can you be that holy nation? Can you be the peculiar people that don't look like nobody else but Christ himself? Can you be what God is calling you to look like? What he has created you to look like? Can you be that for him? That we may do the work that he has called us to do. Don't let the little sprinkling here, a little sprinkling there, when it fits into your agenda, your agenda should always be to walk after Christ. For Christ I live, for Christ I die, and I'm following him all the way. What sect are you of this morning? Where do you find yourself? What are you contaminated with? That is not of Christ. He wants you to be separate. He wants you to look just like him. He wants you to be easily identified. That when the world sees you, they know that you are of Christ. Perhaps you don't know where you want to belong. Can I tell you that the best place to belong is in Christ? You see, accumulating all these riches in a world that is going to, be, is going to perish is wasting time and wasting energy. To be all self-righteous and puffed up, and which in the end will benefit you nothing, is wasting time. So the place to be is in Christ. Where you know that you are set free. Where you know that you are delivered. Where you know that you are redeemed. When you know that when this world is destroyed, you won't be destroyed with this world. But you have a home in glory with Christ Jesus. That is the place to be. So if you haven't yet decided, I would recommend Jesus to you right now. I would recommend Jesus to you right now. I would tell you that he loves you like no one else could ever love you. That he cares for you like no one else can ever care for you. Will you accept Christ and stand with him and become a part of his kingdom? Will you accept Christ? God bless you. Amen.